Well, not long ago, uh, I introduced this consecutive expository series in the New Old Testament book of Micah, one of the 12 uh, so-called minor prophets. And so far in this series, we started out, it was, it's a lot of doom and gloom, uh, the early chapters. And yet in Micah 3, we saw even further how the weakness of the old Jerusalem, the northern kingdom had already been judged and swept away into the dustbin of history. But in Micah 4, 3, we saw the weakness of the old Jerusalem and its corrupt leaders fail and leaving the Judah and Jerusalem in a very precarious place on the edge and the hinge of further judgment. But then, out of like a bolt out of the blue, in Micah 4, we come across a ray of hope where we glimpse the new Jerusalem. And that was the title of the message last week. The new Jerusalem that one day will be restored. The old Jerusalem will be, as we know from history, completely demolished multiple times and most thoroughly in AD 70. But one day in God's purposes, there will come a, a, a glory that is far greater than the former glory. But until that day, the progress is not linear. <laughs> it's not linear. Now, you'll understand why I say that and what that has to do in just a moment when I introduce after the scripture reading. So the, the progress of that day will come, but it's not a straight line. It, it has variations and setbacks along the way. Now, if you'll follow me in the reading of our scripture reading today, Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. And once again, I remind you, these are not the words of men. These are the words of the living and true God. Hear it with careful appreciation. And that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued, and there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, 
Let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. And they do not understand his plan. That he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. And you shall beat in pieces many peoples. And shall devote their gain to the Lord. Their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we're in deep weeds of understanding. A lot of metaphors, a lot of word pictures that have background that are not familiar to us. But once again, I pray today that you, by your Spirit, will take your word and help us to be able to understand and receive it with meekness. Father, that we will comprehend better your workings and your purposes from of old. And Father, your purposes now and yet to come. Father, we ask these things and for this help in the strong and matchless name of Jesus, your only Son, our Lord. Amen. The long and winding road. Now, some of you are old enough uh, or have been listening to older music enough that you have to say, there's something familiar about that. Where have I seen or heard that before? Well, probably a lot of places, but probably most notably, the long and winding road was a song by the Beatles, or as they would say, the Beatles, uh, in 1970 on the Let It Be album. It was written, of course, by, uh, or not of course, John probably did more writing, but it was written by Paul McCartney, McCartney, and he wrote the song in the Scottish Lowlands in, in the Campbellton region. Uh, and he was inspired by the growing tension in the band of the Beatles. And, and yet he could look to the north and see these rolling lowland hills and rising on up further, farther away into the highlands and the various roads that went there. And that's the imagery that came into his mind and gave it the title of that song. Well, today, we observe that the pathway from grace, where we are now as believers, back then or now, believers in the Lord, the pathway from grace to glory is indeed a long and winding road. It does not always go, as I said earlier today, in a linear path. It doesn't always just keep going forward, 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 forward. Sometimes there are significant steps or falls backward. And then there's renewal and restoration again and recovery and then further progress. And then again, sometimes setbacks. Sometimes due to our own sinfulness and our own choices and our own idolatry. Sometimes to things that are beyond our control and which we have no say about. And we can only cry out for God to be merciful 
and give us grace to sustain in the circumstance that we find ourselves. And that's surely where a lot of the faithful ones that were left in Judah at the time of Micah. Remember, the, the uh, outer of the uh, higher, uh, <laughs> the northern kingdom was, uh, <laughs> get that direction in a minute, the northern kingdom was already judged and was already carried off into captivity. And obviously there was great corruption as we've seen in the kingdom of Judah and particularly in the places of power. And yet there were still people that were seeking to follow the Lord and trying to understand the will of the Lord. And yet they were getting basically battered back and forth by the kings of the earth. It was a very trying and, t- and difficult time to walk in faith. And so far in chapter 3, the first three chapters, we haven't seen a lot of hope. We've seen a little glimpse of, of it. And until we get to chapter 4. But until then, there hasn't been a lot of hope. But in chapter 4, we get a vision of the new Jerusalem, as I've mentioned already. But even though we get that vision, and we know that's out there, and it's coming someday, we don't know the specific day. Remember I told you the day of the Lord is not always a depiction of the final coming of Jesus at the end of all ages. That's not what this is referring to. This is a day in the future, uh, but where it's not specific. It's not talking about what so many people assume that it's talking about. And so in chapter 4, we get that vision. However, there are still many painful obstacles that the people of God are going to have to experience as long as they've got their feet on this planet. Until the new heavens and the new earth come, This is going to be a very rocky and long and winding road. And along that long and winding road, there will be many setbacks and the experience of much pain and suffering. And certainly God's people were going through that then in the time of this text in Micah's day. They certainly were being battered by all kind of of forces outside and in, inward and outward problems. And in many ways, we find ourselves there today. As I said, this is a book that speaks very contemporarily. So, they know, many of them, and Micah has already told them that even though God one day is going to, to be, we're going to see a, a reason for hope, and that's going to hopefully carry us through the difficult parts, he's already told them that the destroyer is coming, that one day even Judah will be carried off into exile. And he has said that Judah will come, and the enemies of Judah will come and destroy the cities, and defile the temples, and humiliate their king. And that very thing just about happened, as we'll see later, came so close to happening. It did, in a lot of senses, happen, but not completely. And as we'll soon see, God has a plan to raise up for himself, though, a true king, a real king in Judah. And that's what we'll be looking at next week. So that's a little little uh, uh, get ready for next week because we're going to get some more hopeful good news. But now, 
we're in that long and winding road. Still don't know how this is going to fall out. Is it going to come soon? Is it going to come later? What is going to happen to the people of God that are trying to walk by faith in Micah's day? Well, our outline today is pretty simple. The remnant, the redemption, and the rescue. The remnant, the redemption, and the rescue. Let's dig into the remnant. Listen again to verses 6 through 8. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And oh, and you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now this is another salvation oracle or prophecy. This is another one. We saw some last week, now we're hearing it again. But again, it's a mixed message. It's a mixed bag. It is of ultimate promise of hope and salvation. But it, it, it clearly lets people know this is not going to be a free ride. This is not going to be a, a non-bumpy road. It's going to have a lot of suffering and pain in it. You know, not only uh, Christians, but even atheists, even people that don't believe or believe something like Buddhism or whatever, do you know that the problem of pain is, 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 has to be wrestled with by everyone? Not just Christians have got to wrestle with how do we account for suffering and pain in the world that God made. And how, how, do, we, how do we understand that? How do we deal with that? But see, we're not the only ones who have to deal. Everybody has to have in their theology, they have to have some notion about, okay, so is pain just, is it, is it illusionary? Like some, to, is it illusionary? It doesn't really exist. It's just all in your mind. Or is, it, it means that the world's in the hands of a, of a terrible uh, God that just loves to, to kill everything, smash everything. Is it that? I mean, what is, what is the nature of it? The struggle with the problem of pain. But it's very, very existential for these folks in our text. And they're being told, yeah, hope's coming. But they're not being at all told that, oh, it's going to be just a wonderful walk in the park. It's going to be a great day. You know, wouldn't you like to be with me? Wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? You know, it's not going to be that way at all. So, whatever future glory that is to come, for now the people of Judah will soon be captured by foreign powers. And as we know, they're going to be attacked, and we'll hear about that a little bit later, by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. But they will ultimately be carried off into exile by the king of Babylon. And that's where the, the long period of exile will come for the people of Judah. Now, in that day, again, that, there's that word again, in that day, not the, not the day, the end of all days, not the day of the Lord in a final sense. But in that day, there is a future 
time to come. That's all we know. And that time to come, eventually, down the road, somewhere down the road, one day, a shepherd king is going to arise that will gather the lame and assemble the exiles, literally better the scattered ones, and Judah will be, did you hear it in the text that I read? Restored. Judah, day's going to come that despite the mess that they have made of everything and their rebellion over and over and their judgments over and over, and yet one day a shepherd king, a, a mighty king, but a king that has a tender heart for little lambs. A shepherd king is going to come and arise and assemble the exiles that were scattered, and they will be restored, the text says. They will be, Humpty Dumpty will be put back together again spiritually. They will be in a different relationship to the Lord than what so many of them had been. That day is coming. And eventually, there's a, again, sometimes we don't know. Is it, is it, is it the, the more immediate or is this also possibly referring to something further out? It says this will happen in coming from out from Babylon. So there is that that's going to happen for sure. But the rest of our Bible tells us there's even more. In another sense, a greater sense, there will be a shepherd king gathering the lame and assembling the exiles. That'll happen when they come out of, out of, of, of um, Babylon, but it will happen in a greater way, as we'll see. You see, just as God preserved a remnant that survived Sennacherib's invasion, and we'll talk about that soon, so also a remnant will survive the later Babylonian invasion. There will be a remnant that will. Do you realize that most people in those in those times and those kings, when they got taken away, they got either obliterated off the face of the earth or they got enslaved. They never came back. They never got back to their land. And yet God says, "You will come back. I will bring you back to the land." Those driven away on account of their sin will one day be restored and purified, and they will, in this text, become a strong nation. Now listen to that, a strong nation. Now how are we going to know what that's talking about? How do we know? Is that some other, you know, is that the Persian Empire? Is that the, is that the Greek? What, I mean, what is that? Well, we don't have to go too far to look. All we got to do is look in our Bible. You see, a lot of times people go around and they, they are trying to understand the Bible and they're trying to read newspapers and books and whatever, but they're not really reading the Bible. And a lot of times they think, well, no, that can't be, that's not, that's not, that's not fancy enough, that's not jazzy enough, I want that to be about this. And, and they read the Bible and they think, well, that, that, that can't be, surely can't be. That's not big enough. Not enough fireworks. And so they miss it. But the Bible gives us a lot of indication 
about what it's talking about. It just uses language that we don't maybe fully understand. And so according to the New Testament, this strong nation, this new remnant that's going to return and that's going to be a part of the sovereign reign of God is guess what is it called? The church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, those driven away on account of their sin will be restored, purified, and become a strong nation. And according to the New Testament, the church has become that strong nation in view here. Once again, it's a recurring theme of those once despised and rejected becoming a healed and strong nation. This is a common theme in the Bible. It's in in both Old and New Testament. Again, it's what you've heard me often refer to as a reversal of fortunes. Those that are on the top, they get pulled down. And those that are on the bottom, they get lifted up. And that's exactly what is happening here. These great kings, and they're on top, but the day is going to come and it's going to be reversed and they're going to be on the bottom in the dustbin of history and it's going to be the church that is going to be standing and will stand according to Jesus and not and even the gates of hell can prevail against it. It will overcome all obstacles in the purpose of God. And yet it's the weak and the despised and the lame and the broken that are the ones that are elevated. That's the upside downness, the right side upness of the gospel. That's the way it works. The bad are taken in, and the good, quote, they are taken down. It happens over and over and over again in this world because it is God's world, and He is. Bit by bit, reversing, re-engineering things, taking down those that were mighty, that gloried in their own power and their own accomplishments. And he's raising up those that were lame. Lame, broken. That's not, that's not a, got a little, little bit of slight limp. That's a, contus- a, a heavy, bleeding contusion. Those people will be made well. So this is a promise of what God will do. Even though he will bring judgment, he will bring back a remnant. You see, listen to these, these verses. This, is, this, is, this makes it so clear. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Hebrew Christians at that time in the first century. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Because you were in darkness. You were lost. But now in, into, brought you into his heavenly light. Called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. The reversal of fortune. The up one, Down. The down ones trodden, lame, they're up. They're the ones that are 
going with Jesus. They're the ones carrying out his mission. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Aren't we glad the gospel works that way? Because if it was all for those that can score the highest and do the best and have the most, no, God shuffles the deck in a lot of ways for his glory and for his purposes. Listen also to Acts chapter 2, 34 through 36. This is, this is Peter talking about David. Did you hear about the daughter of Jerusalem? That's a, that's a Davidic concept. The de- for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord sit at my, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the lame getting well when Jesus came. This is the lame and the strong nation becoming the brotherhood of believers from every tribe and tongue and kindred. I love the hymn we sing sometime. Um, I guess the, it's escaping me right now, but uh, it's in Christ there is no east or west, in Him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. And talks about brothers and sisters join hands. You know, whatever your race may be, who serves my Father as a son is surely kin to me. Blast all preferential treatment, all prejudice, all racism, everything in the kingdom of God, it is different. And this is what Micah is prophesying so many years ago of what one day will happen for broken people. You see, in verse 8, there's that title associated with David's greatness of the remnant of the vision of the future glory. And it will be destroyed. And a kingdom belonging to the daughter of Jerusalem. That's the kingdom like we find in Isaiah 9. Remember? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. We think about this at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of the government... Uh, and of peace, there is, will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the shepherd king that is being prophesied and foretold. And we are that strong nation that he has made and is making that one day will cover the entire earth. One day, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. When's that day? I don't know. But that day, according to this book, is coming. That day is coming. All right, quickly, redemption. Redemption. Listen to verses 9 and 10. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king? Has your counselor perished and the pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, and, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, 
But then here's the big but. But there you shall be rescued. And there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Redemption. Redemption. God is telling another salvation oracle through Micah. But God tells his people that there will be pain. There, and comparing their present trials to, to a woman is the analogy that is used in labor. Guys, we don't know anything about that. But our ladies do. A lot of them do. A lot of them do. Um, but he's saying it's going to be like that. It's going to not be easy. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But then he points them to a future that is no less difficult in verse 10. But he says there will be redemption. It will be hard. It will be tough. It will be painful. It will have loss. But that's where you're going to find your redemption. Isn't it like us? We like to go around thinking, okay, if I can just be pain-free of everything in my life and everything go well, I'll, I'll be a better person. No, you wouldn't. God works through pain to bring us closer to where we should be in our relationship with him and with others. I don't like that. You probably don't either. But that's the truth. That's the truth. Pain is part of our Savior's plan, our coming King's plan. And he uses it. But despite that pain, ultimately on the other side will come redemption. There you shall be rescued and there the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Isn't that cool? It's not just to get you out of the mess. He's going to redeem you and bring you out that ultimately those who despise and hate you ultimately are going to have to realize that you've been exalted and lifted up and redeemed. You see, there is referring to Babylon. And God says he will redeem and restore them there. You know what? This just proves once again, as the old uh, devotional book, The Valley of vision. Some of you have read that. Some of you use it. Some of you have used it. Some of you, like me, have used it multiple times and put it down and come back to it and put it down. <laughs> but it, there's a statement in there in one of the early um, uh, entries that says the valley is the place of vision. Now you think about that. <laughs> we think of the what? The hilltop, the mountain. K2. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Everest, uh, the Olympias, that's the place of vision. Well, it is in a sense. But spiritually speaking, it's the place of pain and suffering. It's the place of down in the valley, not up on the heights. That's where we really begin to see things as they are. And we begin to have eyes for the coming kingdom. And what God is doing. All right. Quickly, finally. The rescue. This is really a neat story. Uh, it, it'll go quick, but this, this is really a neat story. In verses 11 through 13, look. Now many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. This is, this is, this is the enemy coming saying, we're going to tear your house down. 
brick by brick. We're going to gloat over you. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. They got a plan. God's got a plan. And uh, they have no idea what's about to hit them. Um, Arise, thresh, O daughter of Zion. We got a role in this. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many people and devote their gain to the Lord and their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. You know, some people, some people are devoting their wealth willingly. <laughs> some people are going to have it arrest, take, rested right out of their cold, greedy hands because they're not caring for the cause of God. These people, they were thinking, we're, we're about to mow these people down. The people of Jerusalem are under siege. This is another salvation oracle. The third one now again. A lot of threes in what Micah does. Have you ever noticed that? And, and the structure is very, very, almost the same number of verses, same number if you, if you break it out in, in the original. The people of Jerusalem were under siege. The great and powerful army of the Assyrian king, what was his name? Sennacherib. Sennacherib. There were a bunch of them. Uh, and uh, and I've, I've named, tried to name them for you earlier in the series. But they've surrounded Jerusalem, and now they're not just out, out in the, the countryside, uh, you know, raping and pillaging and tearing things up and demanding tribute. Now they're at the gates of Jerusalem and 701. And Sennacherib is arrogant and haughty, and he's got 185,000-plus men. And there's poor O King Hezekiah. And these couple of wimpy prophets called named Micah and another one called named Isaiah, and they are all scared to death, especially the servant, uh, um, and uh, they are absolutely sure they they are done. It's time to stick it stick a stick in them and you know roast them. They 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 have no hope, and yet surrounded around Jerusalem. The pagan king did not know that God had a plan. The king came with his plan, but God came with his. And you know what his plan is called? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You ever heard that? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And this was, this was, the, this was the apex predator in the, in the ancient Near East. But... God's saying, oh, okay, let's see how this turns out. You see, they will come against Jerusalem with all their might, but God is going to intervene in the battle, and he's going to defeat his enemies. You see, God has so, look, we'll go further into the fullness of of the story here. God has so arranged history. He's planned it this way in his plan. He so arranged history that what appears to the enemy as a victory actually leads to defeat. What the enemy is absolutely sure, this is going to be easy pickings. I got this. 
I'm going to mow these down like everybody else that's been in my way. But God has a way of twisting that, reverse engineering that. And the very thing they think that is going to carry them, they end up losing in defeat. You see, in that threat in 701 B.C., along with the prophecies of Micah and Isaiah, something happened as Sennacherib was coming to batter down the, their door. Something happened because the word of God was going forth. Even in a city that many were not believing, and yet there was a remnant even there and then. And there was a, a strange change in the timeline of bad king after bad king and after bad king in Judah. And all of a sudden, after the, one of the worst kings, comes a young king to the throne. His name is Hezekiah. And that king is there in that siege. But he's been listening to these guys, these preachers, these prophets named Micah and Isaiah. And this drove what was the word of God that was going forth was piercing to the quick the people in that city. You might say it was foxhole Christianity, maybe, but whatever it was, whatever it was, it was working because they turned. And Hezekiah and the other leaders of Jerusalem dropped in repentance on their knees and they cried out to God for mercy. And in one night, God killed 185,000 soldiers of the king of Assyria. In one night with the angel of the Lord. Only needed, only needed one angel to absolutely clean the clock of the Assyrians and send the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, scurrying back to his palace in Nineveh. And when he saw the blood path, like I say, he, he let, went for home. Now, this is probably what Micah was referring to. He was living in this. He'd already prophesied this, though, before. And he saw God do these things. Break through. Break in, even in suffering. And as a result of his preaching, it was a true, but unfortunately, temporary deliverance. The people did repent, but soon they returned to their Age-old sin patterns. And to their sins, and eventually, in time, they were carried off into judgment, just as Micah had long ago prophesied. Carried off, this time, not to Assyria, as the northern kingdom had been, but to Babylon in judgment. But... But there's another ray of hope coming. 
that shows us more of Jesus next week. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, your ways are mysterious. Father, they are far beyond us. But thank you that you have engineered in your world that the plans and schemes of men and women will not ever overcome your purposes. And your kingdom will come. And you will establish your king upon Zion's throne. And he will reign forever and forever. And Father, let us, let us know that that is true, come what may, for those who are in Christ Jesus, our great shepherd king. And we pray now this in Jesus' name.